I think that any kind of body image problem, it's all about shame. You're kind of ashamed of what you look like, ashamed of then, in my case, who you are. Have you ever really stopped to wonder what makes you, you? Why you think the way you do and feel the things you feel? This is Your Amazing Mind, and this podcast is here to help you understand why your mind is so amazing. I'm Michael Pearson, Deputy Head of Student Counselling at the University of Bristol. And what we're doing in this podcast is opening up conversations about the biggest mental health issues affecting students, young people, and everyone. In each episode, you'll hear a student's frank and thoughtful experience of a particular mental health issue. And then we'll get together with a special guest to help you realize that there are people out there that might just get what you're going through and to give you some advice to help you feel just that little bit better. In this episode, we're speaking about body image. When you picture how you look and it just doesn't match how you want to be. When you struggle to look in the mirror because you're unhappy with what you look like. And for some of us, that can become so overwhelming that it affects how we live our lives. But remember, you're not the only one. Coming up, we'll be speaking with world-renowned psychologist and specialist in body image, Dr. Philippa Dietrichs, and hearing about her experiences of working in this field and her understanding of how we can form a better relationship with our body. But right now, you're about to hear from Pip's amazing mind and the eloquent and honest account of how she has lived through some really challenging times with body image issues and how she has learned to manage them. I just sort of struggled to function on a daily basis in that I struggled to go out the house and see people and look at myself in mirrors or shop windows and photographs. It seeps into your everyday life and it was something that filled up my entire headspace, especially on really bad days. I just sort of shut down. I couldn't hold conversations. I sort of would just withdraw. I don't know, it's sort of hard. It's one of those things that slowly kind of grew on me. Initially, I don't think it's too much to do with body image. It was sort of a general need to be sort of perfect, obsessively checking yourself in mirrors and you're obsessed with something about yourself that you think is wrong. It almost is overwhelming how wrong it feels. I don't really know where it came from in that I've been very lucky. I have always had great friends, amazing parents. I've sort of not had any of the bullying that often leads to this sort of thing. But because I think it stems from a place of perfectionism in general, it then sort of leaked into becoming not just about how I look, but who I was. So sort of on a really bad day, it would be you hate how you look and therefore you hate who you are. Some of the feelings were just sort of, well, self-loathing and hatred and that kind of horrible, sort of feeling like you're uncomfortable in your own skin completely. And also a lot of shame. I think that any kind of body image problem, it's all about shame. You're kind of ashamed of what you look like, ashamed of then, in my case, who you are. And then 
that means that it stops you talking about it with anybody because you're terrified. Your like biggest fear ever is that you'll say to somebody, this is how I feel like I look. And they will go, yes, that's because it is how you look. And therefore, all of those horrible thoughts that you ever thought about yourself are completely valid and true. So you sort of end up just hiding how you're feeling as well, just because you're terrified that someone's going to agree with you. I think about 16, 17, I was self-harming and I just be sort of functioning on the surface in that I was doing well at school and I had friends and stuff. But there were so many things I couldn't do and there was such a narrow window of things that I could do in that your comfort zone, when you feel like this, your comfort zone is so small because you have to feel like you're in control. And the idea of leaving that comfort zone is so overwhelming, you just sort of can't do it. So I think that was probably my lowest point when I just was, yeah, very much, I hated myself completely. I think coming out of that low point, again, it's just such a slow process that sometimes you don't even notice it, but I think it's definitely one of those things that you look back on, even like a month or two later, and you're like, actually a month ago, I couldn't do that or I would have felt overwhelmed doing it, or I would have had to then have the rest of the day like hiding in my room sort of thing. And you suddenly look at how far you've come um, without even realising it sometimes. But I definitely think the thing that really turned it around for me was talking about it, which everybody always says you should do. But like I said, when you have what I have, which is body dysmorphia, it just, the shame around it is so big that you kind of, talking about it is such a big step because you're terrified that someone's going to agree with you. Setbacks, I think, are one of those things that sometimes they're quite big and sometimes they're just bad days in that you kind of have, it's like a roller coaster. I always just think there are always like little ups and downs, but sometimes there are periods of like, I don't know, a few months or something where I just feel bad. And it's not as bad as it was by any means, which is sometimes also quite helpful to look back on when I'm in those bad moments and be thinking compared like to a year ago this would have been quite a good day <laughs> and I mean everyone has days whether or not you have a mental health problem I get that everyone has days where you just feel rubbish but I think that there are just some days where it threatens to overwhelm you again but you get better and better at not letting it and talking to friends and family and a counsellor has sort of really helped I mean, I still have a way to go and that's sort of fine by me. I still really struggle with photographs, as all my friends will attest. I don't like them. I really do struggle. But again, I'm so much better because I can be in them. I no longer think these horrible thoughts about myself. I don't associate how I look with who I am anymore. And I can also recognise that the horrid voice when it does come out which is still pretty regularly but I can now recognise it for what it is which is not me it's this horrible nasty voice in my head but it's not me and it's not real and while some days that is still quite hard to accept so it's those kind of like small steps small steps to sort of keep focusing on and don't just think I haven't reached the point where I can like life model or something and therefore I'm not getting there but yeah there's still a way to go I still have issues but that's okay we'll get there
Our guest today is a research psychologist with an international reputation for creating evidence-based strategies to improve body image in community, business and policy settings. She has many published papers featured in the New York Times, BBC, Forbes, The Guardian, the list goes on. She has worked on and alongside the Dove Self-Esteem Project and the first evidence-based Girl Scouts Global Badge Program, Free Being Me. I am in awe and completely humbled by her achievements, the wonderful, caring and thoughtful Dr. Philippa Dietrichs. I've been really interested in the topic of body image, but more broadly how society and culture can influence our well-being uh, for a long time. And I did my first presentation on the topic of body image when I was in grade eight at high school. And I think it's a topic that uh, lots of people can relate to, but particularly adolescent girls and women. It's um, growing up, being conscious of your body, but also living in a society that places a heavy emphasis on how you look and whether or not you conform to society's beauty standards is something that's very prevalent for most girls growing up. And increasingly, we know that that's the case for um, individuals of other genders as well. And I then um, started studying psychology uh, at university and had an interest as well in, in terms of eating disorders prevention because we know that body dissatisfaction is one of the most influential uh, risk factors for the development of eating disorders. But soon kind of came back to this original idea of just how prevalent um, body image concerns can be among people. And um, since then, you know, I've done my PhD in the area, I've been working in the area for 10 years. And I think the driving force behind my work and what makes me really passionate about it is that we just see from the research as well as from talking to different people about how body image concerns can really impact their lives in terms of their well-being, in terms of their relationships, in terms of sometimes even their aspirations for education and work. And I want to um, live in a world where people don't feel held back by worrying about their appearance or by stereotypes and prejudice from other people based upon how they look. And that's what really um, drives the work that I do to really kind of promote an environment that's accepting of diversity of appearance and so that people don't feel held back in life and doing the things that they want to do because they're concerned about how they look. I'd love to know what. why do you think it's important to break beauty stereotypes? Well, we know there's a lot of research that's been done which has systematically analysed the content of advertisements, magazines, television and more recently advertising and social media and what it overwhelmingly shows is that we uh, see the images that we see do not reflect the vast majority of us in reality. They don't show the, the, the wonderful natural diversity of people as we are in our everyday lives from all around the world, whether that's age, skin colour, body size, um, facial features. We see very narrowly portrayed beauty ideals. And when people who don't conform to these ideals are shown, they're often shown in um, stereotypical in a stereotypical manner, so a classic example would be in children's books and cartoons, the the baddies or the bad characters often have very prominent noses. They might have a scar on their face. 
um, or, um, you know, a, a skin condition, for example. And they're, they're the ones that are evil, can't be trusted. When you look at sitcoms and television, people in larger body sizes, there's systematic analyses showing that they're often much more likely to be portrayed eating or engaging in sedentary behavior and often more likely to be the butt of people's jokes. So we have this very narrow representation. And then alongside of that, there are over hundreds of studies now which show that when consumers look at these images, it has an immediate negative impact on their body image. And there is some longitudinal evidence showing the impact of that over time. But then at a very human level, for anyone who's ever grown up feeling like they're different or that they don't fit with what society expects of them, when you don't see yourself represented in media, it can have a real impact on what you think um, is your place in society and what opportunities are available to you. So I think th- what's really important is to showcase the, the, you know, the amazing diversity we see in everyday life um, and, and for people to feel validated and for f- people to feel seen um, and for people to feel inspired by people who may look a bit more similar to them or have a similar identity to them. And that's really important. And so I, I can't help wondering, I, I can hear how passionate you are about this subject, but I can't help wondering, is there a personal reason you've got into this, perhaps a personal experience of body image? When I gave my presentation at high school, I don't think I ever would have had the words back then to necessarily articulate it. Um, but on reflection, there was a very strong awareness between, you know, in, in myself and also among my friends that, um the way we looked was important and other people would judge us based upon how we looked. Um, And one of the keys to being, you know, a successful woman um, at the time I was growing up in Australia, but I think it's very similar in many different cultural contexts, um, is that you have to look a certain way and, and be attractive to be seen as not only beautiful, but capable, you know, to have willpower and all of these other things. And so, I remember that. I can also remember um, comments that were made, you know, to me when I was in primary school about my weight and about how I looked. Um, And the fact that, you know, I'm 38 now and I've been doing work in this space for a long, long time. um, And I can still remember those comments and still remember that sense of shame that was associated with that. Um, So, yeah, I, I mean, that's a driving force for me as well. And then I think, But beyond myself, I think about that magnified when we see in the statistics that, you know, it's up to 90% of adolescents experience body image concerns and body shame. Uh, And then you think about that magnified around the world and the kind of the burden that's placing um, on young people. That's what um, I find really upsetting. And you mentioned shame there, that it's such a debilitating force, and not only for body image, I think, but many other mental health issues. And I'd like to bring Pip into the conversation now. Um, hi, hi, Pip. Um, you also talked about shame in your personal experience. Um, do you want to talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's just something I think that is very common like you said with all mental health things but with body image it's sort of a whole nother level in that it's the shame around having a mental health problem anyway but then there's the added shame of like but people can see you 
which sounds strange, but it's sort of like the external stuff is what's fueling the internal stuff. And it's the fact that people will always be able to see your body and what you look like in your face and all that. So you're already ashamed of how you look and then just additional to how you're feeling just sort of means this horrible cocktail of just being ashamed of sort of everything. And that just really stops, I think, people talking about it or talking about it in a sort of healthy, constructive way. I think this is definitely something that affects everybody. Every single person I know who's my age will have something, like however severe, whether it's like me and it's sort of culminates into this massive big thing or whether it's just like, oh, I'm really insecure about whatever it is. I think that it's just something that's so universal and so ingrained into us that firstly, you will have something. There's like no question about it especially as a woman but I mean also as a guy that there is going to be something that you hate about yourself and I just it it is a bit strange that it just sort of that is what you should expect almost yeah for sure and I'm I guess I'm curious to know um as well um you mentioned when you were talking about it you talked about perfectionism a lot um as kind of being one of the things that you think might be kind of underlying a lot of this and I'd love to hear you know a little bit more about that and if there's mom- critical moments that you can remember that might have contributed to your feelings about yourself from you know a negative point of view but perhaps some of the things that might have helped you as well. It's sort of always been something that I've struggled with in general just wanting to sort of do well in everything which sort of even from a really young age just I remember like maths homework and like schoolwork trying to get the best grades and that just sort of all leading into I think just in general wanting everything to be perfect and like I said before you kind of can't measure so much your success like your body image success almost so like exams you can be like well I got 90% so that's okay but you this isn't something that you can measure like that which I think is where I struggled with because it was there's no way of telling if I have achieved the goal that I want and therefore I just sort of always felt like I hadn't and that there was something wrong. That probably resonates with a lot of people because sometimes I think with body image we can get so tied up in trying to control our bodies and modify our bodies in the hopes that that's going to make us feel better um, feel better about ourselves, but also perhaps feel like we're going to be valued more. And so, you know, there can be this idea to give the example of weight loss. People can get caught up thinking, if only I lost all that weight, or if only I could look this way, my life would be so much better. And then that kind of subtly reinforces the idea that, you know, our appearance and how we look is central to how we're valued. And that can be really ch- challenging and problematic for lots of reasons. One is because, you know, beauty ideals or whatever our society tells us is, you know, the ideal way to look that changes. Um, And there's also massive industries that are kind of predicated on this idea that they're going to sell us products in the bid to achieve whatever we're trying to look like. So we can end up spending a lot of money, a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to look a certain way and trying to feel better about ourselves. But as you say, that that those goalposts are always shifting. And um, I had an interesting conversation 
um, a little while ago about this this exact thing about the kind of what you know the costs associated with you know body image concerns to us as individuals but also to society and um, you know we've touched on this a little bit but um, you know although we know that body image is an issue that affects you know most people we see that it disproportionately affects girls and women and non-binary and transgender individuals and there's also a lot of expectation that we all should look a certain way. And so it also kind of perpetuates, I heard it was referred to as the gender beauty gap. Uh, Like if you think about all the time, money, energy that is spent associated with worrying about how we look and trying to look a certain way. Um, And one of the examples was a woman who was a politician. And she said when she went on, you know, the morning television shows, she would turn up and she'd have to get to the studio two hours early because she needed her hair and makeup and everything done. And then her um, male colleague would like glide in 10 minutes before, have a quick powder, quick touch up, and then away we go. And she was like, that's two hours that I could have been sleeping. I could have been exercising. I could have been reading my daily briefing. And that's just one example. If you think about that magnified, you know, it's really concerning and it's um, sad to think about the lost opportunity um, or the lost pleasure or the lost kind of sense of identity and the sense of playfulness that we can also have by playing with our appearance and the way that we look. You mentioned the the gender beauty gap there, Philippa, um, uh, and that's absolutely clear. I, I wondered if you're seeing, um, or a new pip to a bunch of your friends, are you seeing a slight change in that at all? Are you, do you think there's an increase in body image issues amongst men as well? I mean, I definitely think it's becoming more prevalent or at least more sort of in the media and people are more aware of it, I guess, just because male mental health is becoming so much more of a conversation, which is great. And yeah, all of the sort of like pressure or or like the sort of gym pressure and that kind of stuff um, definitely is becoming more of a thing. But I do think it's one of those things that until society stops telling women that their only value is in their appearance which to it's obviously it's much better than it used to be but it still definitely is a problem in that from a young age as a woman you are told like if you're not pretty or thin or whatever it is then you're not going to succeed as much and you're not as valuable and so I think until that changes it's always going to slightly disproportionately affect women just because we're taught that rather than it just being a part of you, which obviously is bad enough, but it's you're sort of taught that it's most of you, really, that sort of that's what matters. And until that stops, I think that women are probably going to be more affected and non-binary and trans people as well are going to be more affected because of just the way that you're valued. And I, I have to ask the, the big question about social media. Um, and I'm wondering from, from both your perspectives, do you feel that social media is contributing or, or worsening the impact of body image issues? You know, researchers have been looking at it for close to 10 years now, I would say. And what the initial research really looked at was broad brush strokes correlations. And what we commonly see is the more time spent on social media, the worse your body image is and the worse your mood is. But in recent years, we've 
really been trying to work out what's actually driving that and, and what's going on there. And what we're finding is that not necessarily all social media is bad, which is probably not surprising, uh, but it's how and how you're using social media and what you're doing on social media that can have an impact. So what the research tends to suggest is if you're just passively scrolling social media, so for example, you're on Instagram, you're just scrolling through your feed um, or Facebook or whatever, passively consuming everything that you see, that tends to be quite bad for mood and for body image as well, as does posting a lot of selfies, um, you know, uh, commenting on other people's appearance or seeking validation through comments and likes can be particularly problematic. However, more recently, what the research has shown that active social media use, so kind of, you know, the returning to perhaps what it was intended to be, like, and the social element of social media, by using social media more actively, so actually engaging in conversations with people um, and interacting with people can have a positive impact and can reduce social isolation, um, can improve connection and improve mood. And we've also been doing some studies recently at the Centre for Appearance Research, looking at what um, is the impact of, for example, body positive content that we are seeing more and more of on social media. So body positive influences or the aspect of social media where, you know, we talked about traditional media where there's a rep- you know an overrepresentation of appearance stereotypes and you only see certain people whereas with social media we are both consumers and creators and social media has given us an amazing opportunity to see people from all around the world but all different social identities in a way that we've never been able to really see before and connect with also the accounts that you follow is really important uh, there's research showing that following um, accounts with diverse representation of different body sizes and shapes is great for positive body image. Um, some of the parodies, so Celeste Barber, who's really well known for the way she creates parodies of celebrities and appearance culture and beauty culture. Um, my colleague Amy Slater did a study on that and showed that that was beneficial for women, as well as consuming content that focuses on self-compassion or positive mental health and well-being. And, you know, there are certain accounts that do really beautiful little reminders that will pop up in your feed. And that can be beneficial as well. So it's really um, the research suggests it's how um, and what you do on social media that impacts your body image. A massive thanks to Pip and Philippa for taking part and sharing their story with us. If you're affected by the issues raised in this podcast, check out the episode notes for links to relevant support. Some of the best ways to combat mental health issues is through conversation. So don't be afraid to talk to someone you trust. And if you know anyone that might be struggling with these issues, please share this podcast with them. This has been an 1860 production for the University of Bristol. The producer was Rowan Bishop.